we, we need to make sure that we give the tools and uh, everything accessible to the next generation to be able to to, to make things better. And, and on, the, on the flip side of that, I would say is, is that the one biggest and strongest passion point I have is about um, hiring uh, neuro, neurodivergent individuals into the workplace. You know, if you truly believe in something, then you've just got to keep going and fighting for what you, you, you truly stand for and believe in. And it's like anything is, is that uh, clearly you need a support matrix and a network behind you and around you that can help facilitate that. Get, you know, keep people uh, that are good for you close by. What we've seen in the last two years is nothing in comparison to what we're probably going to see in the next two. I would say the the acceleration process will ju is just going to go bonkers. I work in advertising, right? But I I would like to think that people like enjoy seeing ads, right? Some everyone knows they've seen an ad and they remember it and go, I love that, or they chuckled out loud. The problem is the problem we have now is is there's a lot of advertising that is just mundane and dull and not that entertaining. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Cowshed Podcast. Our special guest today was Global Creative Strategy Director at Microsoft for over 10 years before moving on to BuzzFeed where he was Director of Brand Strategy. He is an absolute master of marketing who has spent a lot of time in the technology world and is currently Chief Marketing Officer for a project that is trying to revolutionise the cloud computing space. We dive into all of this and much more in the following conversation. Hi David, how's it going? All good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Um, so I kind of want to dig into your backstory a little bit because you you were global creative strategist over at Microsoft, if I'm right, which is is a pretty big role. And I'd kind of I'd love to hear a bit about how you got there and what your role was there. Yeah, so I mean, I haven't been. I'm I'm an ex Microsofty, right? You know, once you've been in those realms, invariably. Uh, it, it, it flows through your bloodstream. You, it's very difficult to to not, you know, not stay mindful about everything that's going on in those realms. And uh, mm. I actually, I actually fell into that world more by accident. They found me uh, back in two thousand and five, which feels like a long, long time ago. And uh, and in the realms of the mid mid noughties, Web two was really only just being talked about now because mm. you know, everything's everything's on the tip of Web three, but but of course what was going on at Microsoft and how I sort of fell into that role was is that they needed to tell stories better on behalf of brands across all of the platforms that they had. So we're talking, mm. you know, MSN Messenger in those days was still alive, right? You know, and it was Xbox was becoming even more of a phenomena. Is that but, because they um, were viewed badly, kind of in the public eye? No, no, not at all. I think they were uh, they were phenomenal in the sense of the amount of technology that was being released, and they, the R and D teams behind the scenes at Microsoft were just uh, it was a magic magical to see to have access to some of the things that were being created in those world. Now, uh, you know, I've, I've worked in advertising and creativity and marketing for the last twenty five years, and the premise mm. really for me was is how do we how do we showcase and tell a story about how brands are better at communicating to both businesses and consumers and so i was sort of a uh, the conduit should we say the person that could uh, translate some of the incredible stuff that was coming out of those platforms that could be then communicated or used as a as a platform for brands to tell better stories and mm. and interestingly back in those days you know in in 2005 really 
the words rich media or interactive content or branded content experiences didn't really exist. It was very much, uh, you know, media, standard media advertising. So uh, it was sort of like a, a epiphany, really, for the industry and the advertising industry to, to get better at, at how they communicated because uh, no one really imagined that crappy banners and pop-ups was the right way to, to, to you know, the tell stories to people. Just, just madness, right? So, um, and and so I spent ten years up until you know 2015 in a in an environment that just kept developing and and harnessing new technology and releasing that to a swathe of consumers across the world. So it was, I mean, fascinating experience and far too many stories to cover off in the short period of time that we've got here. But b- brilliant, nonetheless. Must have been really, really exciting. Were you kind of? already curious or interested about the internet beforehand or was it more they kind of they saw you you had a lot of expertise in marketing and they wanted to kind of bring you on yeah yeah i mean uh, operational efficiency and understanding of telling stories and i was i was very good at, at eloquently getting across to agencies and creative agencies and clients about what the capabilities were so i was sort of the the go between between you know, the texts, the, the developers, um, the R&D teams, and those uh, people that had physical cash that wanted to use the Microsoft platforms. So mm. it was just, it, it was a natural element there. Uh, and of course, obviously, everyone was in this process of trying to understand exactly what, you know, the world of Web 1, let's call it, was really, because you had publishers with, with new content, uh, editorial content was becoming more important traditional publishers you know the newspapers of this world and the um the online forums those early early ramifications of social media platforms the facebooks and the twitter of this world was you know they were slowly building up and people were trying to make a sense of it because mm. uh, and even now interesting enough nothing really has changed the, the the premise really is is where do we go as human beings to consume content be it our mobile phones our laptops or ipads whatever it may be uh, v- versus uh, human interaction. And of course, we know what happened to human interaction a couple of years ago, which then accelerated the dynamic of an environment like us having this video call today, mm. right? which would have been in a studio with his cameras and you know spending that time meeting uh, each other physically rather than in reality or virtual reality. Mm. Mm. Fascinating. And so then you kind of, you went from there to BuzzFeed, am I right? I did. Yeah, I did. So what kind of, that's, that's a pretty big shift and change in terms of the types of businesses and what their purpose was. What was that like and how did it kind of compare to life at Microsoft and what they were doing? Uh, I mean, it's a different beast and it it moved very quickly. It was a, you know, a publishing network. Uh, There was one one important piece I think that I got out of that, I mean, a lot of the clients that I worked with at Microsoft sort of transcended across because they were as fascinated about listicles and, and grumpy cats uh, just as much as I was and dresses that look uh, different to different, uh, you know, different view, viewpoints. And, and there was an element there where we were talking about uh, brands should talk to people the way people talk to people. And mm. so all of a sudden there was a, a new way to to communicate there was a new way to tell stories there was a new way to entertain and and it was very much more i don't know jovial uh less uh, much more entertaining in the way that it wanted to communicate with people 
but equally less formal. They were, yeah, less formal, but but they were they were trying to create an environment that there was a different way to do that, and you know they created this form of this the, the listicle. But an actual fact, while well, whilst I was there, we were building out a European, you know, the European arm of creating video content for customers. So all of a sudden, it was. Uh, we don't just want to produce a you know thirty second or a sixty second uh, TV slot. We would like to communicate to the millions of people that live on that platform mm. that actually are, are engaging in consuming content in a very very different way. So that's one element. The other element is is that it was lovely to see uh, you know it was very an open forum in the sense the editorial teams we had an, an investigative journalist uh, team that were focusing on some of the big exposés that were going on. In the day, I mean, I don't know if you remember the the whole uh, FIFA expose that happened in you know 2015, 2016 was it was a huge element of news. So there were there were traditional journalists coming from those UK publishers and uh, New York based publishers that were then conversing across because they had the autonomy to tell stories not based on political stances but actually f- freedom, more of a freedom mm. of speech. So that was the bit that was. That was the, the eye opener for me, but um, you know things move quickly in the in the realms of uh, the internet and advertising and branded content. And you know I was there a year, and in that year I consumed a hell of a lot of uh, information about how publishers needed to one make money and two help brands tell their story better. Hmm. Interesting. Essentially, what you say about all the kind of the journalists moving over as well, because I guess that's almost going even further now where a lot of them or report kind of everyone's got their own newsletter or Substack where they can, I guess, write with even more freedom, more directly to fans. Um, and I mean, how do you, how do you see kind of more traditional publishers? Do you see them surviving or is it a matter of they just need to adapt more? I, I think adaptability is a good way to assume, but also is, is a little bit more of an understanding of the culture and the way that uh, people consume content. Mm. Now, selling you know selling daily newspapers as we well know is you know you saw this week actually i think it was uh, city am in the uk realized that not that many people are going into into the city on a friday anymore so they've stopped publishing the newspaper and they've gone here digital so Mm. it's a great example of you're seeing this trans ascendancy of uh, how people consume it now the the difficult one is is with any publisher to you've got advertising revenue that the funds obviously pays for all of these individuals that are producing the content. And of course, you've got to have some sort of walled garden or, you know, gated city where mm. there's a subscription element where you're not consuming, uh, you know, getting spammed by a load of advertising, but also you've got an opportunity to read content with, with the freedom of having no ads. I've always said is, is that from a publishing perspective, if, if the ads are in the right environment and they're telling a story in it, in a, in a rather clever and compelling way, then, you know, I, I work in advertising, right? But I, I would like to think that people like, enjoy seeing ads, right? Some, everyone knows they've seen an ad and they remember it and go, I love that, or they chuckled out loud. Mm. The problem is, the problem we have now is, is there's a lot of advertising that is just mundane and dull mm. and not that entertaining. Publishers have got to find the perfect harmony and the mix between subscription, uh, uh, advertising revenue and then output quality of output but also they need new audiences so they're having to diversify and work out who else is consuming that you look at you know bbc worldwide right you know they they can run ad revenues 
with all the content excluding the UK. And that the revenue that they make from that is a huge funding scenario for that business to produce more content for clients. Hmm. That's interesting. There's definitely a few ads where, I mean, even over Christmas, over the World Cup when you're on ITV, like, a lot of them you're just like, oh, you can't be asked to watch. But there's a few where you're all, everyone's sitting around and you're all captivated and you, it is generally almost an enjoyable experience. And it, yeah, it does, it does bring it, it you almost forget that it's, it's trying to sell you something and you are just kind of caught up in this little film. Well, that, that leads to the interesting scenario that is on everyone's mind right now is this chat GPT, you know, mm. where you've got this AI content creator that you can pretty much ask anything from, you know, uh, can I feed my cat, you know, or... Write a poem in like right, Valley exactly. Jackson about milkshakes you know, or something. Write my CV for me or, you know, uh, here's the job description and I've got five things. I mean, you saw what Ryan Reynolds did this week for Mint Mobile. I don't know if you saw that. No, I he didn't. Just put, he just put in a number of factors like add in a swear word, talk about Mint Mobile still doing an offer after Christmas. And, and there was all these elements and then it just pumped out this piece and then he... Uh, he repeated the diatribe that it, that, that it outputted. And realistically, people wouldn't necessarily know until mm. he said. And, uh, and yet that's fascinating. But of course, if you're a, a creative or you're a copywriter or you're a, a, you know, a journalist, all of a sudden, uh, you know, there's this fear that we're being taken over by uh, an AI content creator that is going to be able to pump everything out. Mm. Um, personally, I would say, we don't need to fear too much. I think it's brilliant that we've got access to all of this data now and it's at our fingertips and we can jump in and ask all of these random questions. But I still feel feel and believe that human endeavor is, it is the one that actually softens the blow of some of the content because it's not talking in a way that humans talk. Mm. I mean, in some cases it may be, depending on, on the style and personality. But there has to be a, an element of human engagement and interaction and management and facilitation and even moderation to to ensure. So uh, over the next 12 months, it will be fascinating to watch how this uh, how this changes and, and, and moves. Mm, yeah, I saw I saw a guy kind of write a thread where he kind of just tested out how good it was at SEO. And he kind of put a bunch of things made to write a bunch of blogs. And he was like, it's not amazing, but like it's better than an intern who's been studying this for a year at the company or something like that. And so, yeah, I'm, I wonder, do you think that, because I guess this is the start and it can probably get better and better. Do you think it kind of more just filters out anyone who maybe is not as good or doesn't have as much of a talent for it and there are less jobs? Or do you think it's, yeah, I mean, how do you, how do you see it kind of disrupting your job or the industry and kind of storytelling as well? I, I think naturally, uh, and it's interesting you talk about careers and roles because you know some of the things that um we haven't talked about the the, the passion point that i've got around uh neurodivergent individuals working in, in in business not just in the uk but globally but there is you know i've had job titles that were never existed before mm. and so you look at roles that are being posted out there just because of the the evolution of how of how businesses and growth works is is that job titles are created that in three months there'll be job titles that we've never heard of that will mm. pop up you know head of metaverse last year was you know one of the what the obvious one you know there was the ai side of it you know always going to have elements of uh, research and ai but 
metaverse and you know web3 uh, portal managers and web3 dev guys and NFT, nft artists and you know the mm. list goes on all of a sudden bringing bringing the realms of blockchain and all of these exciting you know virtual experiences to the world means is that uh, you know the next generation of individual may not be a copywriter they may be a you know, end up realizing that they're better at being a developer mm. for a, you know for a particular part Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You kind of see so you you rode one big wave being the kind of the internet wave and then the kind of the new type of content and storytelling wave. And so you've kind of now you've ended up and your your biggest role, I guess, is now in the kind of crypto blockchain world. How did that kind hmm. of how did that transition happen? And what was it that brought you in? Uh, well, network is the uh, is the number one. Okay, the amount of people that you meet. So I'm I would say is uh, I'm very good at engaging and interacting with people. So if people are listening to this and they, they want to know where how opportunities arise, well, the the first thing I would say is is that sometimes there's an element of fate and fortune, but also mm. there's an element of opportunity. Right, you make your own opportunities. You've got to go and hunt and gather. You've got to go out there, and if you, and you've also got to work out what you love. You know, and it, it takes sometimes it takes people years to re really recognize what they're brilliant at um, and stop focusing and worrying about the stuff that they're not really that good at because we mm. can't be brilliant at everything. Uh, as much as I'd love to be brilliant at everything, there are lots of things that just get in the way of that and life in general and, you know, combining that with, with work experiences. But how, uh, curiously, how long did it take you to kind of realize in that marketing and storytelling was the thing that you loved? Uh, I think I just like the way that uh, it brought joy to people. Okay. And, and also in this industry is, is you get to meet a lot of people and then you get to a lot, a lot. I mean, don't get me wrong is I love talking, but I mm. also love listening and I love listening to new people that have got newfound stories. And, and in the, in the realms of this, you meet a lot of people and that's sometimes how you have a conversation. They recognize your passion points. You recognize theirs you know you're at dinner and all of a sudden you you know they're conversing with someone that needs to meet someone and so there's always these lovely little close close degrees uh of connection where you're mm. bringing other people together to see an opportunity and that's exactly what happened with me is is that you know I, i'm on a path see something i'm meeting people and all of a sudden they're like you need to talk to them because i think that what you've got and they can see it in you and they think right okay you need to you need to be encapsulated by this environment bring that um, but I would also say is, is, you know, don't be afraid of pure accident because there are, you know, I, I got into the whole blockchain and crypto and Web3 space more by accident, by friends introducing me to, to you know, to businesses that, mm. that believe that they needed someone's opinion. And in the same realms as there is this massive, uh, you, you, you're seeing this uh, migration effect of all of these people that are working in, you know, the internet or digital advertising or, you know, content that are now recognizing that there is this new world that is becoming, you know, the blurring of lines or they call it the, the fidgetal, which is a fidgetal, uh, physical and digital coming together. And that there is a, you know, there's a time and place where something's going to happen where you'll consume something in you know, the digital or virtual world, or, you know, you'll be shopping in the metaverse and the next thing you're out and you're going for a, a beer down the pub with your friends and just talking mm. about, how insane it is uh so yeah there is sometimes you've got to go with the flow but also you know as long as you stay in control right and you feel like you're on the right path uh it 
it's it's fun enjoy it enjoy it don't you know don't necessarily fight it sometimes it just happens by pure chance mm. is my best advice that's nice thank you and so i guess then coming back to kudos was that yeah. something did you have a friend there or did someone kind of put you guys in touch and is there was there something in particular about kudos that drew you in or was there a reason why you wanted to work with them yeah i think there's a combination of and the combination was that there is uh, a sustainable element to the business now for people listening they don't you know kudos is the it, there's a, a blockchain right and there's a, a cryptocurrency um, but there's a, a, a carbon neutral, right, offsetting uh, its carbon footprint. So there's, a, there's some goodness that's coming out. There's ethical, sustainable, and it's doing the right thing. But also is, is that um, for me is, is if I can help educate the next generation and those uh, and peers around me that there is a hell of a lot of goodness that's coming out of what blockchain technology is capable of doing. And I'll explain mm. something in a, in a scenario. And then uh, what fascinated me was is that there's a charity layer in here. So all of a sudden, there's a philanthropic, we can help people uh, in all walks of life. And we can help them by utilizing a platform to do that. Uh, and, the, and the other part is, is the computing piece. So this is cloud computing. And right now is, is that uh, the business proposition is bringing those two worlds together. So you can acquire cloud computing you, via a smart contract, which mm. is technically... Uh, you know, using the blockchain and you could use any form of currency, whether it be digital currency or, um, uh, you know, government backed currency to acquire computing power. Uh, but this is the interesting thing. If if in the world there's something around the lines of 50 percent of the current available computing power resources that are sitting idle mm. and for consumers, it's closer to 90 percent. That's 90% of our devices just sit there doing nothing. Mm. Yeah, they're still plugged in. There's still, they're still the carbon element of that. And, and, and really what's happened is, is what we've come to the, the, the concept of is saying is, is why don't we use what we've already got? So rather than screwing the environment up, building more bare metal servers that need uh, um, you know, generative electricity, is, is that we use everything we've got, people plug into it. So it's sort of like the Uber of cloud. Like anyone can get paid back for using their spare computing power. Mm. And it doesn't matter if you're in Nigeria or Kuala Lumpur or in, you know, sunny, sunny London. It doesn't matter. But you have the capability. So, you know, let's imagine a future where you plug your, your mobile phone's plugged in at night and it gets to capacity. It's in sleep mode and it's sat there for eight hours whilst you're getting your, your lovely good night's sleep. And then it goes into verifying smart con smart contract or transactions on on the blockchain or mm. um, you know it, it it does it uses its computational power without um, degrading it in any way and then the next morning you wake up and the app says you've just made you know four pounds from mm. using your spare computing power now if you take that into the realms of iot devices and all of the devices that sit around us all the time and it could be i don't know anything from uh, your car or your solar panels but there, there's this you know recurrence of earning money based on something that you already own mm. that you never knew about and that for me is is that you know great i get to see all of these incredible worlds being built out by these brands in uh, building out metaverses and and virtual stadiums and you know and every industry is getting involved fashion football um you know even finance all of these experiences are, are, are becoming more and more apparent 
on a digital screen, just as mm. we are on now. But the computing piece is the bit that excites me because bring those two together sustainably and then, you know, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm doing something right for the environment whilst I'm in a, in a working environment too. Mm. Now, tell of an idea. I mean, you're kind of just putting assets which people already earn and allowing them to, or making them one liquid so that they can lend it out, earn an interest on it instead of it just being part there. Instead of having your cash under your bed, you maybe lend it out to someone in interest and it's just, I guess it's the same kind of idea. How close is Kudos to actually realizing this? Is this something that people can do already or is it something that they're aiming to allow people to do down the road? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the future scenario will be so there's a, you know, there's a relationship and partnership with Tingo in, in Nigeria, which effectively gives, you know, up to 20 million plus Nigerians with a handset to learn to earn, farm to earn, play to earn. And so all of a sudden you think that from the scalability point of view is, is that those people using, uh, you know, their mobile phones to pay for the contract or pay for their family's mobile phones. So there is that element and it's coming and it's in development mode. But right now, you're right, is, is that the, the blockchains lie. People can apply for a, you know, a grant uh, via our foundation. If they've got an amazing idea, but they want to build it out and they need the support, they can go and build it on our Cosmos blockchain. But equally, is, is if uh, any brand, Web2 or Web3 now, needs computational power, needs cloud, mm. and doesn't want to use one of the big centralized partners like Amazon, Microsoft, Google, they can come to a, an alternative and, and it's there now. So you can go in, choose what you want, uh, pay by the hour, plug it in, and you're away. So it's edge computing. It's like so. There's um, significant benefits from a latency point of view. So you, you know the the computational uh, uh, you know, you know, mining capacity is is nearer you. Mm. So all of a sudden, the more people we plug in, the bigger the network, the bigger the opportunity. So it's just like this lovely perpetual cycle. Mm. You mentioned decentralization there, and I think one thing that a lot of projects are criticized for is being decentralized in name only, or there's the kind of the promise of future decentralization. So like, we're not decentralized now because we need to get startup capital, have a team, blah, 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 but one day we will be. Where does Kudos sit with that? And where do you see it kind of going down the road? Yeah, it's an interesting one because you've got, you know, corporate businesses that are exploring blockchain technology in an, in a variety of different ways. And clearly, obviously, and they're also exploring how they build out experiences that, that live within the realms of Web3. You know, that's the, the, the naming convention for the next iteration of what the Internet is. So, you know, if, if we've seen what we've seen in the last two years is nothing in comparison to what we're probably going to see in the next two. I would say the the acceleration process will ju is just going to go bonkers. It's going to go utterly bonkers. More brands, uh, more businesses, more people, and so there's this mass influx of in, uh, individuals that will become to experience that. But going back to your point around decentralization, now there's a lot of Web three, uh, you know, people building out these experiences that are still using centralized cloud partners. So they're not technically decentralized. Mm. Uh, um, you know, open source access to all, you know, anyone can get there. I, I think the biggest issue really is, is the, the transactional layer that happens behind it is, is how do currencies uh, beyond from bank to bank, but how do those currencies uh, and the way that people transact in these environments become even more seamless? And what you don't want is 
you know, is 10 internets or you, know, you, you want blockchains to talk to each other. That's why we chose Cosmos, because, you know, there's an interchain piece there where you could create it on one chain and it could live on Ethereum. You need mm. you need interoperability and you need open access to everyone and you want scalability. And that is the probably the biggest challenge that will happen in the next few years is, is that how do you ensure you choose the right platform, the right partners and the right technology to, to enable everyone to be able to see and hear and, and you know, and, and interact with what you're creating. Hmm. Interesting. What's the, um, do you know much about what the governance structure behind Kudos is like in terms of, I think one thing people find confusing is like, okay, maybe it's decentralized, whatever, but how are decisions made? How well do upgrades happen? Do you know, do you know much about how that's happened over at Kudos? Well, I know enough to know that, uh, we've got some smart cookies behind the scenes that are working in both product development and all of our communities of uh, developers that are supporting us, including the validators regarding uh, blockchain, mm. uh, any transactions or anything or any activity that happens on our chain. And, and I would say is, is that the beauty of that is, is community developers is that, you know, we, we create an environment called uh, our rangers and our rangers vary. They could be creative, they could be omni-rangers, they could be developer rangers, uh, but those rangers really are the lifeblood of what we've created. So mm. for them is, is that, you know, it's like having a community of people giving us ideas about how we then harness and develop that to make it better. Mm. So if someone comes to us and says, we've seen this incredible proposition that we believe should live on this, how do we then create it? We sort of, we're, we're facilitating that and helping to tell the story. And it's the same with any chain really is, is that you're only as strong as your community and you're only as strong as the ecosystem mm. and the partners that live, live on that. And my role really is, is to, uh, as it was at Microsoft is, is to take all of that knowledge and understanding and translate that into, into explaining it to everyone and anyone. So even if you're a complete newbie to this realm and you want to know more, you should be able to understand in layman's terms, exactly what it is, why is it, why it's doing it and the difference it's going to make. And if you can do that, then I think, you know, that's how you build your fan base, right? You, you, people crave information. They're excited mm. about wanting to know more and they get involved. So, and, and again, from a governor's point of view, as much as I, I don't want to get into the weeds on that is in the same way that's facilitated by that support from all of the people that hold tokens through to those people that are building experiences on chain. Mm. Crypto definitely has a, a bad connotation within the public. And even, even now, it almost feels like the narratives are getting split up. Like I had a call the other day and someone was like, yeah, this looks interesting. Blockchain, but not crypto. And then you speak to some people like Bitcoin, but not crypto or like crypto, but not Web3. Out of curiosity, how are you kind of, how do you think the space or the narrative around the space needs to change? Like how, how do you see it kind of changing in a way that it becomes less of a bad stigma in people's eye because i've heard the count of you as well it's is that it doesn't need to the innovation will happen and people will end up using it so it doesn't matter yeah. at the end of the day. but as you are the, as you are a storyteller how is it do you see do you have a vision for that i, I tell you what adoption will come with when it being naturally seamless in transition and what i mean by that is is that you know i buy a coffee and i'm using a, a, a neo bank or a crypto friendly uh, banking application that is translating and converting my uk pound into whatever currency ethereum or bitcoin or kudos whatever mm -hmm. it may be 
but then I'm paying for that coffee. And so for me, I know that there's that natural transition. And I, I, I did it a while back and I just said, I just bought that coffee with, with cryptocurrency. And they said, we don't accept cryptocurrency. And I said, no, but you, do, you don't. I'm paying for it with cryptocurrency that's converting it to fiat cash. And then that goes into your account. So I'm still paying you for my coffee mm. with cryptocurrency, not with fiat cash. And I, I could see them thinking, their, their brain was thinking, oh, no, how does this work? You know, are we missing an opportunity here? Now, I would say is, is that how this would work is, is that the, the more seamless, the more connected those are, and then you realize, because in some cases, you know, people just invest in, the, the, the fluctuation of cryptocurrencies is the bit that puts people off, is, is because mm. you could go and buy a cup of coffee, you know, for two, two pounds, uh, you know, with one currency, and then tomorrow it's one pound eighty. You're definitely or, you're buying a lot less coffees today than you were two years ago. Yeah, of co- of course. You know, I mean, and that's the whole Bitcoin story about how many pizzas and Bitcoin. I, I think you know, and that's where stable coins come in play. So the stability of currencies that are doing something beyond the fact that they are you know pegged to a government, and you know, mm. you need that from a stability point of view, but. Uh, there's a there's a sandpit and everyone should be playing in it and what we shouldn't be doing is is hindering innovation we should be harnessing it and so now you're seeing uh, not just the uk government but governments around the world recognizing that they need to fast track uh, understanding education the technology and work out all the goodness for it and what that leads to is if you start to show the stories about the things that is done done well then all of a sudden that puts and changes the mindset. Now, I would also say is, is that for every, you know, crypto business that didn't make it, there's probably a hundred traditional standard businesses that don't make it mm. now, but nobody hears about them at the moment is, is if there was something, the old FTX fallout, and then it's the, you know, and everyone's talking about don't touch this thing because it's only associated to that. But there are thousands of businesses out there that had no association to that exchange and yet they're building and innovating and creating this environment with currency mm. and so, so again open for all access understanding knowledge and ease ease make it easy and that's the biggest challenge right now is is acquiring a wallet and going through uh, kyc and uh, aml elements to ensure that you you know it, it's a legitimate business that's doing the right thing and so the more that we do that, the better it becomes for everyone to understand it, including, you know, our, our grands and granddads. Mm. What advice would you give to kind of, I guess, any project or business working in this kind of in this space from a storytelling perspective? Like, is there something that you see that most people are doing wrong that would be that they should they should be doing another way? Uh, it's a good question. I wouldn't say, I mean, doing stuff wrong is not a bad thing, by the way, because that's the only way that we learn. Yeah, it's the true. only way we get Failures, better. It's, yeah. the only, it's the only way we get stronger. You know, Elon Musk, no doubt, had many failures before he got to the point of releasing, you know, those products. And uh, But what they don't do, I would say, is, is, is that there's an element of relentlessness here. So you, they just keep going. There's perseverance you know, if you truly believe in something, then you've just got to keep going and fighting for what you you, you truly stand for and believe in. Mm. And it's like anything is, is that, uh, that clearly you need a support matrix and a network behind you and around you that can help facilitate that. Get, you know, keep people uh, that are good for you close by. Mm. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of suffering fools gladly. And what I mean by that is, is that 
I want positive people, positive people that are, are, are focused on wanting the best from what I'm creating versus the same uh, as anything else. Sorry. To That's say. right. It's the beauty of being at home, right? You get Amazon deliveries and God knows what else is going on. At least, Builders. at least we can, uh, at least we can open the door and accept them in. <laughs> uh, yeah. So my point with there is, is that uh, there is, you know, the short answer is, is that don't be afraid of not getting it right first time. And you know, we're all navigating an interesting path. When we get to ninety, let's hope we make it that far. And when we get to that point, is is that. Uh, I think there's something came out yesterday about 90 year olds asking 90 year olds what they would have done differently. Uh, you know, looking back is a great way to look forward. Mm. I'm, I'm not, you know, whatever happened in the past, you can't change. So focus on the, on the good stuff, hone it, mold it, nurture it, put it, take all the best bits out of it and then move to the next thing that you're focused on. It's mm. a lovely bit of advice. I feel like, it's very easy to get caught up with looking forwards and then trying to look even further forwards and even further forwards. But sometimes you just got to stop, turn around, see the kind of yeah. patterns of history and then go forwards from there. I know, um, I know you're, we're coming up to um, the time you got to go. So I just want to ask two quick questions. So the first would be, what are you most excited for when you look at the kind of space from a holistic point of view? uh as in the web3 space or just in general uh in general but kind um, of yeah i guess more crypto web3 kind of themed as well I, you know what there's two things i would say there's two slants and there's one's a passion point of mine for a specific very specific reason but one of them is is that you know there was i think it was a, bill gates once said this is the two languages uh the fastest growing languages are mandarin and code and for me, is is as much as I embraced a little bit of code in the late nineties and early noughties, it wasn't. I knew it wasn't the world I was going to ever get. I wasn't going to bury myself in in code. Mm. But there are so many incredible people now. If we can get the the two, three, four, five, six year olds to recognise that coding and you know anything from uh, developing experiences to applications that that help us with human endeavour to you know health and biotech and medtech mm. and fintech we we need to make sure that we give the tools and uh, everything accessible to the next generation mm. to be able to 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 make things better and and on the on the flip side of that i would say is is that the one biggest and strongest passion point i have is about um hiring uh neuro neurodivergent individuals into the workplace now my youngest son is autistic he was diagnosed at four he was non-verbal to his seven and we had to try and find a, a world that he could fit into mm. so it was like shoehorn someone in that's brain thinks and acts differently to an environment that nobody really understands fully understands mm. now in the in the last few years that has changed significantly and the work that um i'm supporting with a charity called neurodiversity and business is doing exactly that. It's getting UK businesses to recognise that that one in five, only one in five of uh, neurodivergent individuals in the UK have a job, uh, wow. and all of a sudden there is this massive raft of hugely talented people that uh, have been diagnosed with ADHD or autism or dyspraxia uh, or dyslexia, and even adults that are being diagnosed now because they recognise something quite what they just needed to get some answers, and now they're doing that. 
all of these individuals were once frowned upon for certain reasons, like mm. they couldn't spell or, you know, they were... Disruptive you know, or something like that. Yeah. yeah, of course. And now you've got this raft of hugely, incredibly talented people that businesses now recognise they need to hire. Now, uh, and that, and you're even seeing businesses pop up, recruiters, specific recruiters, focusing on neurodivergent talent. And that, for me, is brilliant because that means is that there's a future for my son. Mm. There's a future for my children. It's life-changing. Completely, completely. And, and that is what, you know, for, so for me, I continue to push that and continue to push those corporate businesses to recognize that uh, the way that we hire people. Uh, and, you know, again, is the interview process over the last few years, interviews were in video. You know, we, we were, you, you were getting, you could get a job in Australia if you, if, if, if you, you know, you lived in it or you could, you're comfortable working in a time zone, mm. you know, where you, you're a night owl and you're happy to do that. And that's the beauty of what, that's the one good thing that came out of a horrific pandemic mm. is, is that people recognize there are other ways to converse. But of course, the other thing is, is that those individuals that are, um, you know, wired and thinking differently need to be harnessed and nurtured to the point where they can actually uh, get job satisfaction by working for a company that, that's proud to have them. Mm -hmm. And they can, I mean, you kind of want, you don't want the team of everyone kind of thinking the same it seems that there's kind of a trend of, you know, I was reading about um, like big, big investment firms and they were kind of, they'd only typically hire if you go to, I don't know, LSE or XYZ. And those are the only types of people they'd hire. And then they kind of realized, oh, wait, if we actually maybe hire someone who, I don't know, studied history, but wants to come into finance or studied this, that actually yeah. benefits the business because it brings in more ideas, different ways of thinking, and then new skills along with that. And I guess it's a kind of going even further than someone who's new to Vonch, they've got something different. They have a different way of thinking, which maybe stops them from being able to be as comfortable in regular society, but in fact can be just as useful, if not more, because they present something so new and so different. Oh, completely. I, I, um, this is, I mean, who wants to work in a room full of lemmings? Mm. Uh, only the strong survive. You know, it's like, and it's not even strong, right? It, what you want is a room full of diverse, talented very different individuals that can eat each you know like a graphic equalizer right you dial up and you find the perfect the harmonious you know, notes that, that de de deliver whatever it is whether it's a project or an experience or a business or a story but whatever it is is that you utilize all of those individuals and, mm. and also you engage in engage and interact with them in a way that they feel comfortable and right now we're talking about work environments sound environments you know you go to uh, uh, silent discos, right? Everyone's wearing. Head you, you can party on your own with a load of people and feel as free as you, you need to be. And I think businesses are now fully understanding the complexity of how they need to shift and transcend into a different way of uh, of working, whether it be remote or in the office. Mm. Final question: Is mm. there one particular book? or resource on storytelling and kind of marketing that kind of really stands out for you or has impacted you a lot that you would recommend to other people? Uh, do you know what? I've read so many. And, <laughs> and, and, but the problem is, is that what I would say is, is I take nuggets out of all of them. I mean, I did the uh, Strength Finders, you know, the, uh, quite a few years ago, and I recognized that and this is what I talked about. The reason why is, is we need to find and harness what we're good at, not what we're crap at. Mm. And, and, and I did recognize the strength finders is one good example of that is, is that 
it, it, you know, in a very short period of time, you can work out. And realistically, once you read them, you, you, you sort of know they were you anyway. But it's like you needed a rubber stamp of approval for someone to say to you, is this you're awesome at these things? Mm. Uh, if only our education system would focus in the same way mm. and, 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 you know, and harness the, the, the strengths of the individuals based on, on what they love doing. Uh, you know, it's like, how does any, how does anyone at the age of five know realistically what they're going to be doing when they're 18 mm. or when they, you know, come out of university, whatever it may be, they just don't know. But I think if you can, uh, yeah, if you can find most of the best pieces of advice I've had of when I've spent it with, with my network mm. in, in candid conversation, just literally, you know, blowing the breeze, uh, it just, going with the flow, talking about stuff, topics come up and all of a sudden you'll have a conversation and they'll go, have you ever thought about this? Uh, and, you know, I've been fortunate to be surrounded by some wonderfully talent, talented and very super bright individuals, but equally is, is that uh, sometimes the best ideas and best advice don't come from the places where you'd imagine or expect them to come from. Mm. And sometimes it's not always in a book. It might be on a podcast. Just keep your ears, a... keep your ears peeled. Yeah, just, you know, hunt and gather, pick up the nuggets. Uh, and I would also say is, is that of all of those, whilst they are uh, layering in your brain, it's not a bad thing to create some sort of diary about those pointers that help on your way. So, mm. if you're, you know, if, if, if you're in a position where you're not necessarily feeling 100% confident or you've got, uh, you know, uh, anxiety complexes about n not feeling that you're in the right place or you're doing the right thing, well, you need to just you need to knock those out of the park and just crack on and make sure you surround yourself with those people that will keep you buoyant and keep you um, being the best you possibly can be. Hmm. Doesn't answer your question, so I'm not going to get you know too <laughs> many boats. It, do, it does, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't at the same time. I'll um, I won't, I won't keep you for too much longer. If uh, people want to follow you at all or kind of re read some of what you do, is there any yeah. way that you can where people can follow you? Yeah, so um, a lot of the stuff business related is obviously uh, via LinkedIn. So you can come and find me, you know, David Pugh Jones, uh, Pugh hyphen Jones at uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter. You know, I'm a, I, I post a lot of stuff and ramble on about lots of stuff on on Twitter. I'm at David PJ, so just at David PJ, and you can um, and I, I, most of the time I've probably got more followers than uh, I've got. I follow more people than I that have followers, and the reason why is is because I wish there was more time in the day to consume all of the content. It's mm. impossible to consume all of it. But now is, is that I love the randomness of seeing stuff. So I don't feel like I'm getting the same, uh, same content coming over and over again. It feels like it's coming and it's got one narrative and it's got one vibe and it's one, one directional. I, I would rather have loads of different things that keeps my brain whirring, thinking about other stuff. Mm. So, you know, it, when you do follow people, don't follow the same type of people. Follow people that are doing wonderfully, wonderful things from, you know, research to uh, re recruiting, you know, new talent to mm. building out lovely experiences. Uh, go, go and pick and choose the things that you love and, 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 and find a few people that are a bit spiky that, that like to talk about it as well, mm. you know, are quite passionate at talking about it. No, great idea. It's a, it's a kind of a similar advice also following people you disagree with or someone who you maybe really don't like, but just follow anyway, see what they're saying, try not to react, kind of you might, you might pick up someone, you might even change your own view. 
Yeah, I, I, I try to keep mine as positive as I possibly can. So invariably, if, if it's going to get me into some ranting mode because I don't know it, <laughs> yeah, true. I'm, I, might, I might just steer clear for now. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, thank you for speaking to me, David. It's been um, great to meet no, you. No worries, no worries at all. And um, hopefully, you know, uh, whoever gets this here and, and watch this uh, takes, you know, one nugget of uh, insight or something that... that that gets them to think about doing something slightly different and they take some value out of it. So if that's the case, then I'm happy my work is done here. A quick reminder that we are holding a blockchain retreat from the 11th to the 14th of May, where you will find fresh food, yoga, breath work, sea swims, a sauna with a beautiful view of the sea, and of course, talks, panels, and workshops all about Bitcoin, crypto, and blockchain. If you would like to be one of the 100 attendees there, please head over to our website at cowshed.org.uk where you can register for interest so that you will be notified when tickets go live. That is all for this week. See you soon.